Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. This is Real Nerds Podcast. And every week, we go see a new movie and podcast our experience of the world. This week, we saw Judas and the Black Messiah. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where we will tell you should see the film, play the trailer, and then spoil it. Except I'll be bouncing out early because I forgot to watch it. Well, not forgot. I got really busy. And then I had to run errands today. And then I looked at it. And I was like, oh, man, this movie's more than two hours long. I'm not going to be able to fit this in today because I'll take my kid to a dance class that he doesn't give two shits <laughs> <laughs> and, um, why is he taking it uh well we're trying to find things for him to get bit bu- stay busy because uh that's brad by the way hi brad hey what's um, up because he's so active <laughs> that we try to find him stuff to keep him you know occupied and well, why isn't he taking so, a karate class well he used to go to taekwondo or jujitsu i'm sorry um but then the teacher for jujitsu he's Kellen started getting frustrated because he kept on sparring with the same kid over and over again mm-hmm. and then the teacher had a warrant for felony domestic violence and then i didn't oh. want him to go there anymore <laughs> uh yeah can he even do jiu- like in the you know social distancing era like yeah it's considered a gym so yeah. what about dance you- though like so the dance is at the uh lakewood cultural center inside the theater they have there and on the stage they have uh boxes taped out and so the kids stay in their own box and do hip-hop dancing but kellen doesn't pay attention to it he just spins around on the ground and gets dirty so Hmm. you know yeah anyways so So what you're saying is kellen won't be a broadway star (laughs) yeah you know, maybe his rhythm is pretty spot on if it was I'm not paying attention to the rhythm of everybody else. Um, uh, hi, Zach. Yes. And Corinne, you're with us as well, right? Yep, I'm here. I, I just kept thinking, Ryan, of that Family Guy gag where they're uh, doing West Side Story and Peter's not following along with the instructions of the dance. <laughs> He's like, what did I tell you? It's kick, step, step, twirl. Got it? I just thought we were going to rumble with those greasy sharks. <laughs> not, but, there's, not. A, there's a great uh, episode of Friends where Joey lies on his resume. He's an actor and he's a great dancer. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, he goes to an audition and he the I guess the choreographer has him teach everybody the dance moves and it's horrible and really funny. Yep. I Um, remember. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Anyways, announcement time. uh, You have announcement for us? I do. Movie madness, which is the thing we started last year when all the basketball tournaments got canceled and we needed something to do. Uh, We'll be returning this year. And we've decided we are going to do a bracket of 16 Disney and Pixar movies. So look forward to that uh, starting mid-March. 
and check out the website and social media for more details. I have a better idea. Movie madness, but all the choices are in the mouth of madness. No. Either way, we'll be rewatching In the Mouth of Madness, and make and we'll have to make James watch it this time. <laughs> uh, Brad, you also have an announcement. Uh, yeah, the uh, three of my short films made it into the Indie Spirit Film Festival. Well, the Colorado Short Circuit Film Festival of the Indie Spirit Film Festival uh, franchise, I guess. Um, yeah, Spotlight, Legend of uh, Drunken Brewmaster, and my 2020 Video Day project. Yay. So you can check that out online only, uh, March 26th through the 28th. Uh, go to IndieSpiritFilmFestival.org slash CSC. I really think our second round at this was more concise and uh, a lot better. Good job, guys. Because <laughs> we had practice at it? Yeah. yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very good. doesn't sound Brad. forced at all. We really overcame ourselves during the first rehearsal and managed to pull out a really good spot in the first five minutes here, guys. <laughs> I've completely forgotten all the dumb jokes we made. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I said something about Jack Benny and Corinne stop, said something stop, about the breakfast. Stop recalling it. <laughs> We're doing so good. Uh, we also talked about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, things we've been watching. We're a movie podcast, and we have uh, other nerd tastes. I- I'm going to make a quick mention. You should pick up uh, George Genty, friend of the podcast. Who's, when we did Denver Pop Culture Con, he was on seven out of the eight years. And because uh, one time he I don't know why he didn't show up. He was supposed to be there, but I think he had uh, another commitment. But uh, he just put out uh, an independent book called Shadow Doctor. And it's the uh, true story about an African-American doctor in the 1930s trying to find work. And he ends up working for the mob. So it's really good. Just check it out. All righty. <laughs> cool. I like George's. He's a nice guy. Yeah, no, he's awesome. And the art in it's really cool. It kind of has a uh, like a colored pencil kind of look to it. Definitely yeah. different from his uh, splashy, buffy, and uh, superhero stuff. Yeah. I like his um, his Instagram page is really cool. He uh, posts a lot of uh, different pieces of art he's doing that mostly are Buffy-related, but it's really cool to look at. Uh, yeah, if you want to support him, because you know how much I love him, I have his original art hanging all over my house. Um, you can, uh, go to his website, kabbalounge.com mm-hmm. and for $250, he'll do any commissioned full body sketch you want, or for $75, he'll do a head. Okay. Um, if you want to get in the con experience, you can also, it's called galaxy con and it's all virtual, but you can order through them. And, uh, I think it's the same thing, but this one has, he'll do colored inks. Um, so for, you know. 250 bucks is nothing for a piece of original art. No, not at so, all. And you're supporting a yeah. really cool artist. Yeah. But we talk about movies and movie news. It's real news. All righty. Speaking of uh, conventions and whatnot, uh, if there's any indication of where the future is trending, uh, it starts with San Diego Comic-Con is going to be, re- re- be remaining virtual for 2021. Um, uh, if for, you read the release, though, they said they might try something in November. Yes. Yes. So there is... Um, where have we heard that before? <laughs> the statement says, while we rem- lament the postponement of the in-person Comic-Con, 
our commitment to this community of fans and our celebration of comics and related popular arts endures as an important part of who we are. For this reason, we are happy to announce that San Diego Comic Convention is planning to present a three-day per, three-day in-person convention in San Diego in November. At this time, we are, stu- we are still working on specific details as to attendance capacity, badge cost, related information, and those details will be forthcoming. Please continue to visit our website for official updated information as it becomes available. Badge cost, I am assuming, means you have to give up the rights to your house because that's how much it's probably going to cost. That's just a gander. It's just a gander. At the at the cost, but yeah. So hopefully, uh, the November one will work out because you know, uh, if people keep on wearing their masks and doing social distancing, hopefully the downward trends continue and to a point where everybody who needs a vaccine can get a vaccine, and then we'll be good to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we're things are going to look up. I mean, you know, actually this week I, I might have to put up a vote for what movie we're going to see because there's. Two new movies opening this week. What? Wait, and we have movies from last week we didn't do. So I know, fudge. It's start. Are we starting to get back to normal? <laughs> oh shoot, guys! Shoot. You know, I was actually um, noticing. You know, I haven't been to Best Buy for a bunch of weeks because, you know, there wasn't a bunch of movies to release on Blu-ray from last year. So it's it's finally like caught up to a, like a, just a dearth of Blu-rays to buy. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think um I think it's next week or is it the week after as Wonder Woman has a steel book. I mean, the movie is whatever, but the steel book looks radical. Yeah, I think I just have to get it cuz I'm a completionist. <laughs> Me too. I I'm the same way. And uh the Mortal Kombat 2 movies are having their own steel book. Yeah. Which badass. there's no I'm pretty sure it's the same discs, but Yeah. <laughs> just I'll be kidding, I think it's only like 14 bucks too so yeah so you're just you're just pretty much just buying like a steel book with the logo from the first poster on one side and the logo from the second poster on the other side sweet <laughs> <laughs> my wife says i waste money <laughs> she's crazy she's crazy totally. you don't waste money wait a minute ryan how many copies of friday the 13th have you bought the question isn't whether to ask why. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. How dare I Unimportant. ask? <laughs> Unimportant. <laughs> now, don't ask me how many copies of Army of Darkness I have, because that's worse. <laughs> well, you, it fills a garage. That's what, that's what you told me last time. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Ryan, is it over 10? Of Army of Darkness? Yeah. Ooh, let's see. <laughs> He has to think about it. <laughs> are we counting? Are we counting VHSs or just DVDs yes. and Blu-rays? Nope, all all media. So I have three VHSs. Oh fuck! It is more than ten. Have... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm counting them right now. I have... What, like physically, or just like in your head? <laughs> in my head. Okay, I was like, do you have like a Army of Darkness section on your shelf? Uh, It's in a a vault, Corinne. (laughs) I do have it in my our guest bedroom where I have all my like stuff that Laura's embarrassed that I have. Um, I think there's two Blu-ray releases and three DVD releases. Yeah, so three, six. I have nine, Corinne, so 
not quite 10, but when Scream Factory releases their 4K, then it'll be exactly 10. Don't worry, Ryan. I'll get you another copy for Christmas. <laughs> Thank <laughs> that, you. That way it'll it'll stem the heat off of you having to buy I mean, it. <laughs> I even have Do limited you want my... VHS that's in the gold-like uh, plastic case. Oh, <laughs> nice. I'll give you uh, temporarily give you my Army of Darkness laser disc so you can claim ten right now. <laughs> Ooh, nice <laughs> score. See, I would get the the laser disc for the art alone. Exactly, that's Le- why I got it. Le- leave it lying around to let your no- your wife know where you stand. <laughs> you know, actually, if I ever found it, I would probably get one of those um, vinyl uh, like uh, frames that you can get and Ooh. probably put it in it. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah. Brad, why haven't you done that with yours? Well, hold on. That question yeah. might have been silly. Walk, yeah, walk that statement back. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my bad. <laughs> sorry. Oh, that was douchey of me. I didn't mean to. I apologize. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, it is funny. Someday, though. <laughs> I don't have my own space. Yeah. All my stuff is in buckets. Yeah. Give 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 it to me. I'll put it on my wall temporarily. <laughs> <laughs> my wall's barren. It only has one floating shelf. <laughs> Ryan would totally get it before you. What are you talking about? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, you've got others. You've got other laser discs floating around that room. <laughs> but me? No, everything's in buckets, man. Oh, okay. Fine. Whatever. Anyway, Anyways, what moving, else is going on in, in the news world? Well, a lot, actually. And I kind of want to get into um, your thoughts on this particular end, Ryan. So. Paramount Plus is becoming a thing, and amongst the things that were announced for this is that Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place Part 2, amongst other films, will be streaming on Paramount Plus 45 days after their theatrical debut. So between mm-hmm. Universal, Paramount Plus, HBO Max, I think this is where every single studio is trending. Um, seems like it's the next step. So, Well, I mean, they, I mean, they kind of have to, and I... They proved this week, which is, I don't know if you've seen the box office, but they first they said uh, Tom and Jerry made 3.8, but they revised it to over 14 million. Yikes. Right? Which, is, which is pretty impressive for day to day on streaming. And it's the second highest grossing movie since the pandemic started uh, opening <laughs> right behind Wonder Woman. So, well, why was the count off? Like, what? Is it just because they added oh, I don't the streaming? Know. Uh, I don't know. Well, because Warner Brothers doesn't release their numbers until today. So I think it was like a guess of where they were at. Does this does this obligate us to watch Tom and Jerry now? Like, Well, stay tuned to what we've been watching. I'll let you know. Oh, no. I might still go, even though I'm like, re- I'm already kind of regretting my decision to do so. Um, anywho, though, but the other things that are going to be going straight to Paramount Plus will be a new Paranormal Activity sequel and a Pet Cemetery prequel. Uh, well, and so first of all, for the Paranormal Activity, um, it's going to be written by Christopher Landon, who worked on one of the latter entries and has been becoming successful for the Happy Death Day films and the movie Freaky. Um, and it will be directed by William Eubank, uh, who uh, handled the movie Underwater, uh, the um, Kristen Stewart movie, um, which I believe, Ryan, you saw? Yeah, it's not bad. Cool. Right on. Uh, and then um, and then there's going to be an origin story movie for Pet Cemetery, 
Uh, Jeff Bueller, who wrote the 2019 remake, um, is set to pen the script, and uh, De Bonaventura will be producing it through his uh, um, production company. So, yeah, uh, it looks like they're kind of diversifying, and Paramount Plus is already trying to set, it, set itself apart from the other streaming services with its own content. So that's interesting. Um, moving on, though, to another uh, uh, big announcement um, after much worry and wonder, we finally have a title. Ryan, do you want to announce the title of the new Spider-Man movie for all of us? Yeah, so when I picked Homesick, no, it's No Way Home. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Homeward Bound 2, but nobody <laughs> wanted to take me up on that. <laughs> the, no, the, the little uh, video they posted was cute. Yeah, that was very adorable. Um, the, <laughs> the fake ones they put up, I loved Homewrecker the most. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yes, uh, I was pulling for work from home for, you know, to celebrate our pandemic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, uh, with that, too, um, we also have some uh, uh, news regarding uh, Mr. Edgar Wright, uh, whose own movie uh, Last Night in Soho will be premiering later this year. We're also going to be getting another film from him, a documentary that he did called The Sparks Brothers. Uh, which is a film that uh, broke through at Sundance. It centers around a band that nobody's heard of, but except for a lot of fun celebrities like Flea, Beck, Jack Antonoff, Jason Schwartzman, Neil Gaiman, and all all these other people talking about the Sparks Brothers' odyssey through music. So um, I would love to see what a documentary by Edgar Wright looks like. I imagine it will be very vibrant and some killer editing. Um, and then we got some trailers uh, first a weird one, and then a one that I don't know how to feel about. First the weird one. Rugrats is getting rebooted for Paramount Plus with the original voice cast, and they decided to turn it all CG. Uh, I, am I the only one here who would have been a Rugrats watcher as a kid? I'm assuming so. No, I watched it. I, I think it was before your time when you were a kid, Zach. Yeah, well, it was yeah, like well, the we, first... We, one of the, the first movie we all went to in the theater... Well, yeah, no. but the movie was way after the TV show. Okay, yeah, I remember TV shows that like the first three of the Nicktoons, Doug and yeah. Ren and Stippy. Yeah, I was gonna say, Brad, I remember that in like the early nineties. I was really young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I have a feeling it's you know seeing him in CGI reminds me of seeing Simpsons or Family Guy in three D. It just doesn't quite look right. Yeah, it's but, there, there's a there's a scraggly feeling to the two D animation that the Rug hat, Rats had a. Um, Klasky Sippo was the animation studio. Um, and they had, like, it just kind of felt like a nice little, like, it felt like grungy. Like, it felt fun. I don't know. This feels too smooth. <laughs> to answer your initial question, Zach, I did watch it a little bit back in the day, but mm-hmm. I was more of a Hey Arnold person. Hey Arnold was cool. I watched way more Disney and Cartoon Network than I did Nickelodeon. Yeah, I grew out of I grew away from Nick and went to Cartoon Network when I was uh, a kid, but except for Fairly Odd Parents, Fairly Odd Parents I watched a lot on Nickelodeon. Um and I still kind of quote it every so often. So, um but yeah, rug, look for more Rugrats and then um Mr. Zack Snyder's having a very busy year. In addition to getting to finish his uh Justice League movie, uh he has a trailer for Army of the Dead. Uh, which is his uh, zombie movie that he has put out, and we got a trailer for it. Um, it looks like a uh, speed ramp zombie movie. So, uh, uh, sure, <laughs> I'm down. 
it's Dave Bautista's yeah, in it's it, on right? Netflix, why not? Yeah, <laughs> looks fine. Looks fine. I I couldn't tell if he got any practical effects going on or if it's all a CGI situation. I couldn't tell. Like the trailer was very fast cut and seemed to be focusing more on any slow mo that he could get. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Ryan. Are you excited for it or? Yeah, I'm. I'm in. Okay. Different. Uh, like I am about a lot of Zack Snyder stuff. I mean, even this Justice League, I have my doubts that it's going to be some amazing, um, what do you call it, uh, revelation. At the very if, least, I think it'll be more cohesive than the first one we got. I, I mean, I don't know. Because to me, it's, too, it seems like he's throwing a lot of uh, stuff at the wall to see what sticks. But we'll see. Yeah. Keeping your someone's attention for four hours is really hard. Well, apparently the movie's going to end on a cliffhanger. So, because that's originally how it was going to end the first time to set up the other two Justice League movies that we won't get anyway. So this is literally. I'm assuming it's going to be Dark Side showing up. That's going to be the cliffhanger. See, see, Corinne, it doesn't matter because they're not going to make those movies because it already got indicated by the box office that nobody wanted to see that version of the of the DC universe. It's not to throw shade. It's just that's what ended up happening. <laughs> well, um, maybe if this works out for them, they'll reconsider. See, I kind of hope that because I would love to see Snyder do his thing, even though I've kind of grown past caring, but. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't I, like. I don't know if that would happen because, like, he's already kind of moved on himself. He's doing Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead, but then, like, even if you started it now, like, you have to get those actors back. You know, three years down the road. Yeah, and I know that. I mean, Ray Fisher's already on the outs with Warner Brothers. Ben Affleck's yeah. going back to dramas. Um, Gal Gadot. Well, I guess Gal Gadot would probably come back as Wonder Woman, possibly. Um, and I mean, I don't know what well, has Jason. Be a little while. She just announced her pregnancy. So, oh, Wonder Woman gonna have a she... Wonder Baby. Woo! So she uh, gets time off, which she deserves. Sweet, right on. And then, does anybody know what Jason Momoa is doing? I'm not sure. Probably just hanging out and looking cool. I think they already started working on Aquaman too, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right. Did did they re- did they replace Amber Heard? What's going on with that? Nope. Okay. Cool. I, I heard the firing is a rumor, but you oh, know. Okay. Whatever. They still I, haven't rolled anything yet, so we'll see. There we go. Right on. Well, in the meantime, Jason Momoa can still kick back and look cool. Whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, last other piece of news that I really have is that um, we had the virtual Golden Globes, and uh, Chloe Zhao, the director of last week's film Nomadland, won Best Director. So that's pretty cool. It's a, it's a nice, fun accomplishment there. So let's see what happens when the Oscars roll around. Um, there was that, and there were apparently technical glitches with this year's Golden Globes because audio went out on Daniel Kaluuya winning Best Supporting Actor for our movie this week. Uh, so, yeah, uh, interesting to see what unfolded in the result of an awards ceremony in COVID times. Uh, I did not watch the ceremony. Did anybody here uh, catch any parts of it? Ryan, I know you nope. sometimes like these ceremonies. Uh, I I hardly ever watch the Golden Globes though. You're you're the you're the Oscar guy because of yeah because well, of your wife. the Golden Globes are usually uh like at night and I'm always working for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, and also and Ryan, that- full disclosure, the Hollywood Foreign Press is an association of people who nominated The Tourist back in 2010. So I don't know what to think of their judgment these days. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Tourist guys? Of course you don't. 
That's why we'll never talk about it again beyond what I've just said. I'm pretty sure it's one of our movies of the week. The Tourist? <laughs> yeah. Really? I don't remember that. I look back Nominated at Nominated for Best Comedy. <laughs> now I have to go back and find your Tourist, the, the Tourist episode and re-listen to it. That movie is awful. Um, sh- oh, yeah. Duh. But I just... That's right. It was 2010. You started in 2010. So... All right. Yeah. It's one of our early ones. Oh, wait. It was 2010? Yeah, it's 2010. Are you sure? You're talking about the Johnny Depp one. Yeah. Yeah, that's before the podcast. Did we not do it for a film? I remember seeing it with you, didn't we, Brad? Yeah, but I think it's before Real Nerds when we were doing, like... You know, t- was this, was this Nebcast or surf, Surface Domain? Sur- surf- hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. I called it Surface Domain. Yeah, no one gets it right. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, it, I mean, Real Nerds started in June of 2011, so the, the tourist came out before then. The, then. the tourist release date, December, December 10th, 2010. Cinematography Ooh. by John Mad Max Fury Road Seal. <laughs> and uh, directed by Florian Henkel von Dommersmark. So, yeah. And that's news, guys. Movies sometimes come out on Blu-ray that we might get. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Well, Ryan, didn't you already get Monster Hunter, or did you just watch Monster Hunter? Uh, no, I went to the movie theaters to see it. Okay, well, now you can get it on 4K. How about that, huh? <laughs> All right. Got to complete my <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson collection. Yeah, it's called The Basement Saga, right? <laughs> It's uh, we're in a place we can't get out of. <laughs> like hey, we got to solve this problem. The the we're trapped uh, legacy. <laughs> uh, and then uh, something called Cthulhu Mansion uh, from 1992 is coming out from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, I didn't realize Cthulhu had a sweet pad people could hang out with at it. Uh, Satan's Blood from 1978, uh, also coming out from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, Dark Tower from Vinegar Syndrome as well. Um, we are getting a re-release of She's the Man from 2006. This is an Amanda Bynes Channing Tatum joint that, uh, an I, excellent movie. That's what I've heard. I've never seen it. Um, Corinne, are you the only one who's seen it? Or has Ryan seen it? No, oh, I've seen it. Not, didn't like it? <laughs> I would not, I not use the term excellent with that movie, but it's all right. Okay. You know, it's excellent for what it is, I guess is maybe a better way to phrase it. It's, it's one of those like weird teen rom-com adaptation of a previous work sort of thing. Kind of like Clueless, but maybe a little bit more mid-2000s, I guess. Like Clueless or 10 Things I Hate About You? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't forget to mention the great one. <laughs> uh, and then Zappa, the documentary about Frank Zappa from 2020, uh, recommendation of Real Nerds listener Zach Bynes. Um, so yeah, if you want to check that out, you are, you should totally, I need to pop and uh, get a copy of it and watch it myself. Uh, and then we're getting some Bob Hope movies on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. You can pick up nothing but the truth, my favorite blonde and caught in a draft. Uh, so yeah, you can, you have your choice of seeing Bob hang out with Paulette Goddard, Madeline Carroll or Dorothy Lamour. Uh, so yeah, choices are a plenty guys. Pick up some Bob Hope films. You have some memories to be thankful for. Uh, and then Man, I know how Bob Hope felt, you know, to performing all those things in Saudi Arabia. 
Hi, that's I'm a Dundee's joke. Yep. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom Tucker. Bob, beloved comedian Bob Hope came back to life today, only to die tragically in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> and I'm going to jump over <laughs> these trash cans. <laughs> That's an early Family Guy joke. That's such a weird Family Guy joke, is what that is. <laughs> I still love it though. Um, and then a Pinocchio movie from Samuel Goldwyn Films uh, is coming out, which has Roberto Benigni in it, who did a Pinocchio movie in the early two thousands. Guys, what's happening? What happened? What that movie came out? I remember because it was either that or Monster Hunter with Kellen. Uh, wow! We the theater. R- Ryan, did I was you... gonna see it, but yeah, Ryan, I think you might have made the right choice because I saw that first Roberto Benigni Pinocchio movie, and it's not good. So why? Oh, no. well, he, well, he didn't. He didn't direct the new one. No, he didn't. But I'm just seeing the name there and putting some dots together. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm assuming Benigni plays Geppetto in this one because that's got to be where he's at at this point. Um, yeah, and then looks like no. I heard he plays the whale. <laughs> a whale of a whale. Does he get up? Does the whale get up on its chair when it wins an Oscar? <laughs> um. Anyway, and then we're getting a bunch of two packers from Disney, so you can get Aladdin and Aladdin, or Beauty and the Beast and Beauty of the Beast, or you can get Cinderella and Cinderella, or you can get The Lion King and The Lion King. Uh. So yeah. Or Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent. Okay, so that's the only one that just dares to have a name change. So yeah, you can pick up the originals and the remakes in a two-pack if that's your deal. Or, uh, I don't know. They don't have a Jungle Book one, so I guess I'm not interested. But anyway, that's Blu-rays. We watch films throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Ryan, what'd you watch this week? Three things. And we'll save WandaVision for the end, since I'm sure you all watched it too. Uh, caught up on the latest episode of Hanyo no Yashihime. We have three left now, and I'm really, really concerned as to how they're going to satisfactorily wrap up this entire show. Um, assuming they don't get a second season, which I feel like if they were, they should have announced it by now. But I'm still holding out hope that they will. We got some major backstory. Well, I guess not major. We got some backstory on... I guess he, I wouldn't say he's a villain. At least we don't know he's a villain yet. Um, he's just kind of like an anti-hero. He's sneaking around. He has like ties to the main villains of the show. But he kind of is doing his own thing. And we're just kind of like, what exactly is his deal? So there's like a little love connection forming between him and the main character so i'm not super on board with it but i'm like eh, whatever it's okay um next week's episode looks pretty good though and then so what is this on corinne where they only release it one at a time it's on hulu um hulu is streaming it over here uh it's airing in japan and then they do it like a, like a couple hours delay with English subtitles on Hulu. Gotcha. Just curious. Yeah. So it, it's like a show that's airing right now over there. And then mm. Hulu has like some kind of agreement to where they can stream it here. He's, he's wondering Corinne. Cause he's so, Hey, um, and then another anime I've been watching on Netflix called cells at work. 
really good, um, kind of weird. <laughs> you have to kind of get into it. So the premise is like, it's basically Osmosis Jones, where all the characters are cells in a body, but they don't, unlike Osmosis Jones, they don't look like cells in a body. They look like people and they live in houses and they, you know, transport oxygen that's in little boxes and everything. So it's almost like the concept, but like if you gave it a real world aesthetic for the most part, the germs and the bacteria and everything are the big exception. So they look like monsters and aliens and just kind of weird designs that apparently are based on what they look like under a microscope is what I've been told. But it's really interesting. They tackle different um, different types of things that go on in a body, like different bac bacteria invade. There's an episode with the virus, um, with an influenza virus, where they make it out to like, it, it's like a zombie apocalypse in their universe. The one I just watched was about like how red blood cells are made in the bone marrow, and then they graduate. They're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> never thought I would say this, but the platelets are the cutest things. <laughs> um, they're like little kids. And there was one episode about an abrasion where they have to, like, come in and save the day by, like, putting this net out over everything. Um, I have learned so much more about biology and anatomy from the show than I ever did in my high school biology class. Suck it, Mr. Nielsen. You suck as a teacher. Oh, um, fuck. You just broke his heart. <laughs> yeah, if he ever listens to this, I'm sure he'll be really heartbroken. Um, but, no, it's... And the one I just finished watching right before we started recording, it was building up to the cancer episode, which I've heard is really, really good. So I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> it does make you like really self-aware of like anytime I like touch my, you know, hand in my nose, are these all bacteria getting in and they're fighting all of my little cells? And it just makes you like super aware of everything that could be going on in your body right now. Like, oh, crap, my white blood cells are probably taking out some bacteria right this second. So, anyway, I recommended it to Ryan already, but it's just a super interesting, kind of weird show that I recommend everybody check out. Cells at Work on Netflix. Okay. And then last, uh, you guys can jump in. Watched WandaVision. <laughs> I thought that this latest episode was the finale, so I was kind of a little confused as to why it was mostly flashbacks. And then the thing that um, the person says at the very end of, like, you are the Scarlet Witch. And I'm like, why is that some big revelation? <laughs> I don't get it. And then I was disappointed until they found out, oh, there's one more episode. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so... Well, it, I mean, the big thing is, is she's never been called the Scarlet Witch. Um, she's always been called Wanda. And uh, my guess, too, is the uh, one, the best part of this episode is Dick Van Dyke is now part of the MCU. Yeah. And. Well, he <laughs> exists in the MCU. He's the not big really takeaway part is, of it. you know, it's kind of rewriting a little bit of. He is. Um in my mind he is corinne don't ruin my dream and uh he, he influenced wanda like he's a big part of who she, like i remember talking exactly. about the show weeks and weeks ago saying like you know i don't understand these three episodes like what do they mean to wanda because we'd never seen it before 
Um, there's been no established pretense for them as her, as her being like a fan of classic television. And this episode finally, you know, puts weight to that. And I love that they use the old uh, DVDs. Like those Dick Van Dyke DVDs were so beautiful. Yeah. I loved them. I was always Um, bummed like that, you know, we collected them season by season and then they came out that like box set that's like a TV (laughs) like she has. Yeah. Like the whole collected one. But the good thing is we got the, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, the moving it's like a lenticular. What do you call those, Brad? The, I think it's a lenticular. Yeah, lenticular. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and the little mini TV on them. Um, that's the only thing. I mean, I have the Blu-rays, which are really hard to find now, I guess. But um, that's the only thing I always think about going back in and getting my DVD sets and putting the Blu-rays in them. Um, but mm. then it'd take up more space. And But, you know. Anyways. Uh, but... I actually think it's interesting because they always said that the reason she got her powers because Hydra experimented on her. But now I think because she's always had the powers, I think this is a way they're bringing mutants into the MCU is she's already been one. Did you say mutants? Ooh. Mm. Which lends more credence to the theory that the big surprise cameo is going to be uh, Ian McKellen or Patrick Stewart. No, I I think, uh, now that it, uh, based on this week's episode, I think the joke that Paul Bettany like w- was really looking forward to acting with an actor. I think he's referring to himself because, uh, you oh, know, there'll be two visions. Yeah. There's two visions flo- floating around in the next episode. Well, that's a cheeky huh. way to, to to express narcissism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope he's not. English. I Everything bet... he does is cheeky. Yeah. For the finale, there's going to be some big thing that happens, and I mean, maybe it's like the whole multiverse thing. Maybe it's mutants. Who knows? But I'm not taking it off the table quite yet. What if it's Hugh Jackman and he's been fooling us this entire time with this retirement after Logan? I'd be stoked, dude. That's dope. Weird, though, is so this show basically goes into Doc Strange, um, in the multiverse of madness, mm-hmm. and. Here's my out of the left field. I have no basis on this at all, but uh, Tom Holland's been doing interviews because his new movie Cherry came out. Yeah. And he said that his contract is fulfilled with Marvel after uh, No Way Home. But part of his contract originally was he appeared in uh, a new movie and once in an MCU uh, Marvel thing. So is he going to show up in WandaVision? <laughs> it's either that or Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Anyway. Or he could be in Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah. I yeah. think the cameo is just going to be... Because um, I guess people are saying that White Vision is basically Ultron in a new body. So you might have a James Spader uh, voice oh, return. That's sweet. No, yeah, no, no. Corinne, it's not it's it's not the crossover you think is gonna happen. <laughs> but no, it's uh it's interesting and I to you know, they always talk about how Nightmare is the uh gonna be the villain in Doctor Strange Two. And that fit into the maybe Nightmare's pulling strings too, because they met reference it might be a walnut pretty heavily in uh that episode where you know, Rob goes to sleep and he's living a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Wanda's doing right now. I don't know. I'm interested. I, I think 
I think this show has been really fun and it's one of the few things that I, it's a, a show I've been looking forward to every week and that hasn't happened in a long time. Mm-hmm. I've had more fun with like the sitcom aspect of it, of just kind of paying homage to all these older shows. And I guess like the mystery or like what's going on with Wanda and all that can be interesting, but I don't know. I felt like I knew what was happening going in from the start. So I don't think it's adding a lot to the show the way that the other part is. I just think it, I mean, it's, it's basically going through her grief. There's, and I mean, there might not be a big bad villain. Maybe it's just, she's stuck here and Agatha Harkness, you know, just preyed on her because of her vulnerability. I mean, what's wrong with having Agatha Harkness as the big bad? Nothing. She, she may not. Like, it might be that she just, um, you know, sees that Wanda's this overpowered, you know, entity and that she wants to, uh, you know, prevent her from, you know, destroying the universe or something. Yeah, I did like uh, Agatha Harkness's origin. That was badass when it was like corpses were falling out of the sky, the other witches. I'm like, oh, that's pretty gruesome. It's awesome. Yeah, Brad, I kind of agree with you. That's the way it seems to be leaning based off what she said there at the very end. I don't know about it. I don't know about like the comics, but the way she said it of like, you are using chaos magic. You are the Scarlet Witch makes it seem like, you know, this is something that happens in this universe. Like maybe, I don't know, once in a thousand years. And so she's like, oh shit, like this gal's got crazy wicked power. She's going to destroy everything. Wait, wait, she might just want to be a mentor, you know? Yeah, Ryan, can you can you back up a couple of sentences? You do just sure. say that bodies fall from the sky in WandaVision? Uh, well, are we talking like bloody corpses or? <laughs> no, Agatha Harkness when she it, it flashes back to Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. And the other witches are trying to take her power, and then she ends up basically Indiana Jonesing them and sucking the energy out of them and they turn into like shriveled up corpses. Oh, okay. 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 I was going to say like, what is this show rated? <laughs> so it's funny you say that the first, I think three episodes were TV PG mm-hmm. and the last few ones have been TV 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to get to the show guys. Don't worry. You know me always behind Zach. Brad, what'd you watch this week? <laughs> uh, not a lot. Uh, I watched uh, the movie Hard Rain with Christian Slater and uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh, that's, that's a John Woo movie, right? Or is that is that Ridley so. Scott? I don't think it's anyone notable. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it might be Ridley Scott, actually. Or is I, Black Rain? I can't remember. This is, oh, this is probably Black Rain. Is it Chocolate Rain? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you know is what to do. Is it Raining Man? Raining Men. Is it Rain Man? Hallelujah. No, I was saying, is it Raining Men? I know, and then I complimented it, Corinne. <laughs> um, that's Michael Solomon. Wow. Oh. What's the fu- what's the fucking one? What did really Scott direct with Rain in it? I think you're the- right. Black Rain. Is it Black Rain? Okay. Let me look it up. I'm looking Anyways, up. what's uh, what's the movie you watched about Brad before I derailed the whole podcast? Yeah, uh, Christian Slater is like a security truck driver. Yeah, Ridley Scott directed Black Rain. Nice. Uh, with Michael Douglas, um, which I tried to watch once and didn't finish. Um, yeah, Christian Slater is a. Uh, it's out tr- here and it's raining really hard. 
Uh, he's an armored truck uh, guard with um, Ed Asner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you finish, Zach. Get no, I was just giggling. I'll I'll mute my mic. <laughs> uh, with Ed Asner. Um, you, you didn't mute yourself. I, I, I can hear you. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Christian Slater and Ed Asner are armored truck drivers, um, and they're trying to, you know, get a huge, like, $3 million payload through, I don't know what, I think it's, like, Louisiana or something, um, and it's, like, the heaviest rainfall in history, and the dam is over is going to overflow, um, and Morgan Freeman is part of just a gang that wants to hijack the armored truck, um, but they want to do it without, you know, getting anyone killed. And that goes wrong, obviously. Um, so you never said you're going to kill the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ed Asner is also like his uncle or something. So it, it, it becomes personal when they they accidentally kill him. Um, and then, of course, that's a last action hero trope. <laughs> but basically, the whole movie is above like gallons and gallons of like the whole city, the town is flooded throughout the whole movie um and you know it's taking place on boats and people are like swimming through everything um it it's kind of okay, like it's an okay story you know the, the 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 local police turn out like when they find out that they can obtain this uh payload too they kind of double cross and they're like you know we're just small town cops do you want like want to do that forever let's let's get rich um, of course, and then eventually, you know, Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater, who were once at it, uh, against each other, have to team up to stop them. And um, they're, you know, it, it's it's kind of dumb, but like it, as a filmmaker, just thinking about having to make that movie with that much water around because there's not like, you know, CGI backgrounds, right? So it's either like I was trying to figure out is it are they do they just have giant sets that they built in giant water tanks or is like I, I can't imagine they flooded a town, but it looks like a a town. Could be models. Could be a model situation. And like it didn't look like miniatures, but well, like um, but but like they might have used models for some of the shots. I mean, yeah, I, 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 like if the backgrounds are miniatures, like that's impressive. So I was just like, it, even just you know constructing a tank on the lot is expensive, you know. But this is a this when 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 was the movie made? Uh. Has to be mid nineties, <laughs> or like even early nineties if it's Christian Slater, right? Yeah, it's like mid nineties, ninety eight. Okay, I mean, they, they, yeah, I mean, they maybe they used the Titanic set. <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> maybe all the runoff from that movie. Yeah, yeah. they co- they collected it. <laughs> they don't want to waste water in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton of it's so much water. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Betty White's in it. Um. Does she marry Ed uh, Asner at the end? No. <laughs> then she'd marry a corpse. Did you listen to Brad? She, he died. Oh, that's true. Yeah. She just plays like the nagging wife of this <laughs> husband who is like, we should have got out of the town earlier. And she insists on staying and um, there you go. they get kidnapped and mm-hmm. uh, held hostage, you know. Um, oh, my God. Charles from uh, Ninja Turtles is in there. I didn't even notice him. Um, yeah, Mini Driver is, uh, like, restoring a church. 
that gets flooded. Um, yeah, Randy Quaid's the sheriff. But yeah, it's yeah, it was just it was just interesting. Just like I was just the whole time I was just really thinking about like wow, how they like film this, you know, with all this, you know electric equipment around, and it's it's a large non CGI set, you know. It's been cold and it doesn't look like there's like a place to offload everything nearby. So yeah, it's just as far as filmmaking goes, it's just interesting. Um, and then uh, the last thing I watched was uh, the show called Wayne, which was a YouTube original that got sent over to Amazon Prime. And uh, it's really good. Uh, it's about a teenager who um, kind of dispenses his own brand of justice. <laughs> um, it's uh, It takes place in Brockton, Massachusetts, so a lot of Boston accents going around. Wicked swan. Um, yeah, everything's wicked there. Uh, but he's, you know, he's this loner kid who... The first scene of the show is he rolls up on these guys hanging out in front of the store, and, you know, even though he doesn't do anything, they start picking on him. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, is he walks away and then picks up a rock and then throws it through the store window. And then the guy comes out and like beats the shit out of him for it. And then after he's uh, done getting beaten, he walks back over and picks up another rock and throws it through the, another window. Cause he's without sin. So he can cast as many stones as he wants. Um, and then uh, later on the show, you find out like what that was all about hmm. uh, a couple of episodes down, but um like that's your entry into this thing. Like he seems to have like the super superhuman ability to like just get beat up constantly, but then he'll like he he carries a hammer everywhere he goes, and so when other, he sees other injustices going on, he dishes it out back. Um, so yeah, he um leaves school. Um, his dad has cancer, and uh, his dad dies in the first episode, so he burns his house down with his dad in it and just heads out to Florida so he can obtain his dad's like gold firebird that was stolen from him like at some point. Um, And before he goes, this girl, Deb uh, shows up at his house to sell him uh, Girl Scout cookies. And he just invites her to come along and she's, she's weird. So she just goes along with it. And the rest of the show is them heading down to Florida to try to get this car back. And as things unravel, you find out like why he asked her in the first place and her home situation. The guy from the mayhem commercials um, is her dad. And she has like two douchebag brothers. Um, And once they find out that uh, she's leaving, you know, they beat up Wayne um and then Wayne fights back and bites off his nose <laughs> um and so the rest of the show their fault like trying to track them down on the way to Florida and then Mike O'Malley from uh Legends of the Hidden Temple I think or was it Nickelodeon Guts I think it's oh man I think uh, is it gu- I think it's Guts I think it's Guts yeah yeah um he's the principal um, and you know, he wants to, you know, he, he's hopeful that Wayne can turn his life around. Um, and then when he finds out he's going down there, um, you know, he, Wayne's the only, I guess, friend Wayne has is, uh, this other kid, 
um, who convinces his uh, guardian to let the let him pal around with the principal to go down to Florida to also get him back. So um, Deb's dad, the principal, and uh, just the normal police uh, detective are all trying to track them down. Uh, so there's like four storylines going on, and um, it's just interesting where all those things like thread to. Um, but unfortunately, because it's a YouTube original, uh, it's only one season with a cliffhanger. And so, you know, hopefully people get interested enough that they try to revive it. Um, but yeah, it was really great. And it's super violent. <laughs> so I'm listening. I'm listening. I was like, Ryan should watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, he bites off the, the girl's dad's nose. Um, and yeah, other people as they go. Nice. Yeah. Zach? All right. Um, I watched a few things. Um, I did a couple of Ballyhoo recordings um, uh, for one film that I had seen before uh, many times and one that I'd never seen. So one of them was for Freaks uh, from 1932, the Todd Browning um, mul- uh, controversial masterpiece, I guess I would call it. Um, I've watched this a bunch, so but rewatching it, for this recording, I before I say what I'm going to say, let me ask Ryan: Have you seen it? You've seen it before, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm like in this weird zone nowadays watching it, where I'm like, I could understand why somebody wouldn't like this today, but I still find it to be this like amazing masterpiece of like subversive, like like Todd Browning just like absolutely swinging for the fences for a movie made at any time period. Like there's a lot of questionable, uh, things in it, but the story grabs you by the throat and doesn't let go. Like it is like old. It's not really a horror movie. It's a circus day in a life circus melodrama that turns into a horror movie in the last five minutes. Like I think it's an uncomfortable movie. It's very uncomfortable. Um, and that's part of why I still am compelled to look at it. Um, it's also, um, I, it's a movie where I feel like the, the making of the movie is even more interesting than the movie itself at times. Um, like, I mean, I won't like give too much for what we, we talked about, but, um, the, the whole idea of, Browning having this like unprecedented like golden ticket to make whatever movie he wanted after the success of Dracula and he had a chance to do a, a like a high class detective story with the Barrymores John and Lionel and instead he's just like no 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 I want to make this movie about sideshow performers and I mean like props to Harry Earls the the guy who plays Hans in the movie uh to 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 be actively finding a property that a little person could perform in that era like that that takes all kinds of gumption that I just still marvel at um but yeah i mean it's it's also a movie that where i wish we had the footage that they had to cut out in order to appease the censors because that movie pushes a bunch of boundaries with the censors of that era especially but there was like there's easily 20 minutes missing of that out of that movie and you can tell about it by the editing um but it still works uh it, it again it's a movie that if you watch it you need to you should go in with context on it and also uh 
I think just be prepared to not um, overthink a lot of things in there. But it is, as Ryan said, it is uncomfortable to watch at times. Um, and then a movie that I watched for the first time, Ryan, is a is an Abbott and Costello movie that is not part of that Universal pack. Um, it's called Rio Rita uh, from 1942. In it, Bud and Lou. Uh, are on the run after they've been fired from their pet shop job. Um, uh, amongst the other things in there is that uh, Bud wants Lou to get a uh, get a peek at Miss uh, get get a take a look at Mrs. Pike's peak. Um, and Lou goes, Mrs. Pike's peak. Why can't I get a good look at her? Um, but then anyway, they hide in the back of a trunk of a car and they are whisked off to the hotel Hotel Vista del Rio, and they get caught up in an entire scheme involving Nazi spies. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's not the best Abbott and Costello movie I've ever seen, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, and especially talking about it with my guests, like, you know, like just just dissecting what made Abbott and Costello work then and make it still work today is so much fun to kind of, like, pick apart bit by bit. Um, but it, it, that's one of the reasons why I ended up ordering, and now I'm going to have to reorder for a cheaper price, the, uh, Bud and Lou, uh, box set, which has been on my back burner for a while. Um, in conjunction with freaks, I tried to find a movie that I had known from like the last couple of years where they kind of connected. And I went, ended up going back to the ballad of Buster Scruggs, um, which the whole movie is still wonderful. It's a solid anthology with, every story hitting the right mark, even if there are ones I prefer over others. Um, uh, it, it, that, that first segment with Tim Blake Nelson is still freaking miraculous. Um, the, the girl who got rattled. Um, I think like watching it now, it's the one that because it's the longest, it feels like it drags a little bit by comparison to the other, um, uh, segments. Um, so I'm not as, particularly interested in it but it's still got like a great performance from zoe kazan um and then i still love the mortal remains one at the end where it's the where it's, uh the 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 people leading people to the great beyond um and uh meal ticket with liam neeson which has the freaks allegory in there with harry melling being the wingless thrush um uh sideshow performer uh, is still very depressing and very haunting and very, very bleak. Um, so if you haven't watched Ballad of Buster Scruggs, it's still on Netflix. There's no reason not to check it out. Um, and again, as I keep saying, hopefully they put that on on Blu-ray. Um, uh, and then I rewatched The Treasure of the Sierra Madre with the film club. Um, I loved watching people react to that movie. There were people who hadn't seen it before. Um, and so getting to see their reactions, I think was the ultimate reward for that movie. <laughs> like that watching people first seeing that what happens to Bogart in it, but then seeing the final shot of the movie. And I, I mean, and I made no bones about, about it right after that going like, this is the reason I love this movie is because exactly what happens at like within the last two minutes of the movie. <laughs> um, and I won't spoil it because I feel like even even if Brad wouldn't like it, I think he should still watch it. Um, uh, let's see. And then also, I haven't seen it. You would like it, Corinne. I think you. Or I I think you'd like it. It's really cool. It's really fun. It's a it's a movie about uh, uh, a man slowly driving himself into becoming the devil. Um, 
And but he's also got a fun prospector friend who tries to tell him, hey, don't become the devil. And Bogey's like, no, I'm going to become the devil. Uh, and then Tim Holt's there to be the beating heart of that movie because all he wants to do is have a peach orchard and he should have a peach orchard. Why the hell not? Um, but yeah, watch the movie. Really, really good. Um, and then, yeah, and that's all I really watched this week. Um, yeah, I watched, I guess, a couple things. Um, I, I mentioned that I did watch Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's whatever. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's harmless. It exists. It's not that great. Is Looney Tunes um, back in action better, Ryan? Say it. Yes. Yeah. Woo. Oh, not even not even like close. Um, <laughs> so we won't be doing an episode on it after all. <laughs> I don't think we need to because I think we're pretty booked now. Um, the the premise is what you saw in the trailer that Jerry sneaks into a hotel and Tom tries to get him. But what they don't tell you is Jerry's kind of a dick at the beginning and ruins Tom's performance at a. Um, Pretty sure Jerry's always a dick. He's more more often than not, he's the victim and Tom's making fun of him and Jerry gets back at him. That's what I always (laughs) remembered. I always loved the one where uh, Jerry had the little uh, French uh, nephew and he always said, Bonjour, Mr. Jerry. (laughs) I always loved that one. Um, uh, But yeah, it's, I mean, it's cute. Callan liked it. Um, the animation in it's spectacular. It has a kind of a Roger Rabbit vibe to it, where uh, all the animals in it are animated. Uh, oh, even, that's cool. Yeah, not just Tom and Jerry. Uh, you know, there's. I mean, if you watch Tom and Jerry cartoons, they they do have Spike in it and things like that. But um, even just people walking their dogs on the street the um they're all animated and the birds are animated and so it's kind of a cool thing like so the animation's pretty great because they do 2d and it's cell drawn animation and it's pretty nice that makes sense though because in the tom and jerry cartoons they never made bones about it that like the human beings were real like that they were like at least aesthetically drawn to look realistic like you would only see their feet or their legs right yeah Okay. I don't know. And uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, I don't know if she's meant for this kind of humor. She's fine in it, but I don't know. I don't know who I would pick instead. Um, but me. You know. <laughs> yes. You'd be more convincing than she was. Okay. <laughs> um, so, spoilers for my hopefully will be ending sometime next two weeks. Favorite Blu rays for. 2020 i was uh doing research and making notes for uh, warner archive released the curse of frankenstein on Mm blu-ray the blu-ray is spectacular um if you don't know what curse of frankenstein is it's the hammer film that kind of made hammer hammer um it's the first i I, if i remember right it's the first film that had peter cushing and christopher lee in it um Peter Cushing plays Victor Frankenstein and uh, Christopher Lee plays the monster. <laughs> and th- yeah, this movie's if you've never seen it, the movie's amazing mm-hmm. um, because the real villain in it is not the monster. It's Victor Frankenstein and Peter Cushing is incredible in the film. Um, 
where he's really Dr. arrogant. Dr. Frankenstein was always the villain. Didn't you read the book? Because he tried to play God. <laughs> and he totally abandoned the creature that he just made. He's a terrible person. Until they fight each other on that boat, Corinne. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you could always make the argument, you know, killing children makes you a villain. <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, maybe he wouldn't have killed children if his master creator person had set him on a better path. Wait, did we just start the debate over Frankenstein now? You're gosh darn right. <laughs> We've had 100-something years to do this. Um, possibly, There's been but... plenty of debate about it, just not by us. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, Frankenstein is always an interesting story because it's, yeah, I mean, it's a dude playing God, and what I... Would you know young Frankenstein has ruined a movie for you? Um, you know, in Curse, he has to get a brain. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part where him and his dude who are against it are fighting what he's doing. And the brain smashes and uh, Frankenstein says, I, I hope this brain is okay. And then the whole time I think, Abby. Abby normal. That's all I can think about. Abby um, normal. <laughs> uh, where he got the brain from. But I mean, it's shot well. Um, and all the special features in it are really great. There's a whole disc of interviews with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite one is, I, I can't remember if it's the second or third interview, is with a guy named uh, David Miller, who is a cinematographer on uh, things like The Good Place and really great TV shows like Veep. And he talks about how the cinematographer for uh, Curse of Frankenstein worked really hard in it and how he came from black and white films. And so the lighting in it is really unique. And he went back and he broke down some scenes and it was really cool. Um, are they, they um, have been like a, are they a newer? scholar on it talking about... Uh, Frankenstein the novel and how it compares to Curse of Frankenstein it is pretty they're pretty great special features. Are they newer or are they archival? Yeah, from... they're all they're all new. Oh, okay. Um, cool, cool. So yeah, I mean, I think you can still get it. It's like $16 and it's totally worth it. It's two discs. There's three different versions of the film. Um they have different presentations in widescreen. I think one one is 1.33 and the other one's 1.85. Mm -hmm. And they also, on the second disc, include the television version because they wanted to have the complete versions of all the films. And there's no extra footage, but it's in TV style. And their, uh, their reasoning behind it was that they a lot of people grew up watching it that way. And, I mean, it gives you more information at the top and bottom, just not as much, you know, wide. It's an it's still an interesting thing to observe. Yeah, like, I mean, to, why not? Because I mean, if if you're gonna do it, and all the uh, and all the prints or the, I guess the versions of the film are uh, new 4K restoration, so it looks amazing. I know. Um, yeah, so I definitely, if you like Frankenstein and stuff, definitely check it out. Um, I rewatched Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. That's a fun movie. Um, um and Danny DeVito. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's Robert Zemeckis' like first big movie because uh, he made Back to the Future right after it. Um, Used Cars would have been before, right? 
Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. But was that a big movie? I think Romancing the Stone was like a big movie. Well, though. no, ro- yeah, Romancing oh, yeah. the Stone's a bigger movie. I was just like, I, but I thought, you, oh, you said first big movie. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Romancing the it's Stone a fun is movie. the reason he was able to, allowed to make Back to the Future. Because huh. his movies before that didn't like break out. Yeah, because he had also like I Want to Hold Your Hand as well, which was like an early, early one for him. He's he's a great director. I wish he did more stuff. Uh, that movie's fun. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember Jewel of the Nile more. And I haven't seen Jewel of the Nile in years. And I guess it's inferior. I don't remember it at all. Um, but, you know, Michael Douglas is great in it. Kathleen Turner's fun. Um, Danny DeVito's silly. It's a fun adventure. Um, if you want to, you know, have like a... I, I have this dealing with like buttheads all week. So it's been really hard for me to get into serious stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's fun to turn that on and um, just, you know, let it breathe. Uh, Bear Grylls has a new interactive movie on Netflix where you choose what he does. Uh, it's pretty silly, but it's kind of fun. Uh, you can choose. <laughs> Which way you want him to go? Do you want to save this baboon or you want to save the lion? And it's all in Bear Grill style. So if you're bored and you have like 40 minutes to kill, there's worse things you could watch. And uh, the last thing I watched was the Blu-ray of Batman Death in the Family, which is way better than how Brad described it. Um, because if you do it, so the the selling point for this is also as you choose your own adventure. Uh, so of course the first thing I chose was to let Robin die. (laughs) Um, and the way Brad described it is right. It's Bruce Wayne narrating what's happened in, um, in death in the family and in under the red hood. So there's some new scenes, but it's really just him yapping for like 25 minutes. Yep. <laughs> and it's basically, it's like a commentary of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like he's reading the comic book to you. Yeah. I mean, the, the coolest part is the reveal of Clark Kent being there with him. Uh, but that's whatever. But it really gets good if you choose to save Robin, because then it branches off into about 14 different scenarios and there is some repeat in it because you have to go through and see some of it again but what's cool is every time you make a choice when you watch that story play out uh when the credits roll it goes back to uh chapter select so you can go back to where you branched off and made a choice um one ends really quickly, but it has decapitations and uh, like people's heads getting blown off. And it's pretty great. Um, and then the other one is Jason Todd kind of, I don't really want to spoil it, but um, the other one plays really crazy. And that one gives you like uh, seven different choices throughout uh, the story. So that one ended up being probably 40 minutes long. And, uh, you know, it's, do you kill the Joker or, you know, it's as simple as 
being caught by the police. It, it, so it's, it's pretty interesting and it makes it a way better watch. And I, if you're going to watch death in the family, make sure you get the Blu-ray. And I don't know why they can't have like all those options on streaming. Yeah. Cause you can do it on Netflix. I guess maybe HBO max doesn't have that capability yet. Cause like I said, I just watched the bear grills one and that one, even if you choose certain paths in that one, there's this one where he gets eaten by a hippo. So, <laughs> you know, it's, um, and then he wake. it's pretty funny. You choose this one path and he gets eaten by the hippo and it comes and it, it ends, but then it cuts and he says, all right, let's try it a different way. Which way should we go? So it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's weird that they didn't have that on streaming. Cause yeah, the streaming one is where Batman just explains what happens and it's weird. And boring. Uh, does it have all the other uh, side stories like the Sergeant Rock and? Yeah, so that all comes with it too. I think it's, um, I think they said seventy minutes of, like, uh, DC Showcase shorts or whatever they call them. I don't know what they call them. Um, yeah, so Showcase animated shorts. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, when I see you next, Brad, I'll let you borrow the Blu-ray so you can branch out sweet it is and only 10 bucks <laughs> it is i yeah. got it for i think five or seven whenever it was i think it was black friday that it was on sale for that cheap um but yeah it's definitely worth it to see because that one they kind of let their creative muscles flex where they're not tied to the continuity so um well yeah the continuity is jason todd dies so as soon as you yeah that like you can go anywhere. Yeah, and it gets pretty violent. And even one of the endings is really shocking, too. Um, because, I, you know, I watched it and I kept on picking the bad choices. And they're fun. <laughs> and then I, But then the second time I watched it, I chose all the good stuff. And it has kind of an interesting ending. But then I went back and I chose all of the good stuff until I could choose a bad thing. And it made it pretty gruesome so yeah i recommend everybody <laughs> watch the gruesomeness so does bruce wayne still narrate all the choices like no after no no just that one thread just that one thread the other one uh jason todd narrates but it's uh. broken up so he'll so like let's i don't do you want me to tell you one of the choices so it makes no, I, sense. I, I, I got it yeah yeah so yeah so he'll tell you what's going on and how it came to that choice, but then it cuts to actual uh, movie. You know, it'll, it's basically like the Batman one where he's narrating over stuff happening, but then it'll cut to all the new stuff. Um, yeah, because the Batman one is, like is just flashbacks from stuff we've pretty much mostly seen. Exactly, because I, yeah, I think the Batman one's like eighty five percent old. Yeah, it's under the Red Hood, and then. Um, you know, the new stuff made for yeah. Death, Death of Robin, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I always thought that was a cool thing to do with DVDs. I'm surprised, like, in 20 years, it has been done so little. Yeah, I agree. Maybe hmm. I'll just do it myself. Do it. And that's Alter what I want. endings for Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme's damn band. Ryan, really quickly, I did forget yes. one thing I did want to bring up with you here. Um I did rewatch You Can't Cheat an Honest Man. 
And the only reason I bring it up is because I, I texted it to you, but I wanted everybody else to hear this for posterity's sake. Uh, it's a movie with W.C. Fields and Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. It has a lot of outdated stuff. That's not the point. Although, you know, obviously I'll talk about it some other time. The big thing is, is that this the climax of this movie, once again, it's a movie in the 30s, a comedy, and the climax of this movie is a hot air balloon. And I need to know from all of you guys here, is a hot air balloon climax a good selling point for you as an audience member? Like, is that what you guys want out of life? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what this. Community did it. Yeah. Okay. Community aside, I'm talking about like a a theatrical movie. Like what? I I texted Ryan after I like rewatched it, and I was like, I need to. I need you to tell me if I'm crazy. But like, how was this still a thing five years after they did it? And it's in the air. Like I was just. I was like beating my head against the table trying to figure out why a hot air balloon works for comedy. It's still mag. Uh, it's still uh, romantic in the '30s. I guess so, but like, I mean, the, the, here's the thing: the reason why it's funnier here and not in "It's in the Air" is because it has Edgar Bergen and his two dummies operating this hot air balloon. That's what makes it hilarious. Outside of that, though, I'm trying to figure out like, <laughs> oh god, like I need to. I want to do a new series called "Movies with Hot Air Balloons in the Climax," and like. The one illusion that I drew to the present was like Great Muppet Caper when they start the movie in the hot air balloon before they, um, before they deflate it intentionally to then say that they're in a movie. Uh, and that, yeah, that's all I watched this week. This week, we saw Judas and the Black Messiah. Corinne, should people see Judas and the Black Messiah? Mm, this movie is really, really good but it's also really really depressing Mm -hmm. uh i mean i knew going in it was going to be heavier subject matter but i guess not knowing how the story ended in real life i was just sadly not shouldn't have been as shocked as i was as to how it ends because it's just like gosh dang it society um but uh, like all the performances are excellent and it just like every scene is just some little nugget of philosophy or something to just like keep in the back of your mind for like a week later. So ultimately I think it's worth watching for the educational experience and also just, you know, getting different voices in, in Hollywood and, and adding to the mix of stories, uh, that we want to be heard and celebrate, but just know going in, it's not going to be a fun movie per se. Mm -hmm. Brad, should people watch Judas and the black Messiah? Uh, yeah. Uh, it is an acting powerhouse, but, uh, it is a tough watch because, um, it is depressing. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to recommend the movie, obviously. Um, I, 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 same point as uh, Corinne and Brad, but um, I looked at this as a very um, interesting subversionary area of tackling a crime film or a gangster film. And Shaka King, I think, takes a different spin on what would have been a traditional biopic about Fred Hampton and turned it into this uh, 
cross between a Donnie Brasco and a Scorsese movie kind of bunched into one. Um, so yeah, I do recommend it. And I think Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Jesse Plemons all give amazing performances in this film. So if nothing else, you should watch it for, for their roles in the film. Um, here's the trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah. I want to share something with you. Like the masses, I was in awe when I first laid eyes on all the things you are. I heard that speech. I knew we make noise. I just thought it'd be in the streets. The Black Panthers are the single greatest threat to our national security. Our counterintelligence program must prevent the rise of a black messiah. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. What do you want? Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. America's on fire right now. And until that fire's extinguished, nothing else means a damn thing. Imagine what we could accomplish together. We can heal this whole city. You ain't tell me it was gonna be like this. These ain't no terrorists. We got a rat, man. Does anybody else know about me? No one knows your identity. Are you sure? We educate. We nurture, we feed, and we lobby. Perhaps we're here for more than just war with these bodies. We scream, and we shout, and we live by this anthem. But it's power to the people really worth their ransom. When I dedicated my life to people, I dedicated my life. You get to go up there and talk about dying a revolutionary death because you don't have another person growing inside your body. Anywhere there's people, there's power. Judas and the Black Messiah tells the story of Fred Hampton of the Black Panthers um, be welcoming new member Bill O'Neill uh, into the fold of the Black Panther Party uh, of Illinois. Uh, only as we know the audience uh, that Bill O'Neill is actually a, an informant for the FBI uh, being headed by, uh, in this case, Roy Mitchell, um, who is his liaison uh, during this mole in, uh, this mole. Uh, infiltration of the of the Black Panthers, uh, all overseen by J. Edgar Hoover, played by Martin Sheen. Um, so yeah, uh, the movie the movie draws off of the history of the Black Panthers, 
both from the perspective of the FBI at the time and also what we have learned over the years in regards to that story. Um, uh, before we get into the heavy topics, I want to ask a question to both of you guys. Uh, is it possible that it's just not realistic to ever try to do makeup for J. Edgar Hoover in movies? Because between this and J. Edgar with Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm just convinced you can't do good makeup for, for to make you look like J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> uh, Martin Sheen looked fine. He, he, I mean, obviously you want to kick his character off a cliff. Oh, but... yeah, absolutely, because it's J. Edgar Hoover. Of course I'd want to kick him off a cliff. But <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know what the real guy's supposed to look like, so whatever i mean it's not too dissimilar it's just i don't know the makeup kind of like threw me off a little bit i'm like we still can't do this right but like i'm not i'm not gonna give him flack because i think it still looks better than leo's makeup in J. edgar um but what now they need to do is they just need to find the mission impossible people and get them to make face masks but they, Edgar Hoover. but they need Boom, to, but they need to, but in COVID times, Corinne, they need to save that for all the mission impossible movies that they can make. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but as far as the elements of the story, I guess I'm wondering like what, how you guys viewed the movie in terms of a, uh, how it unfolded. Like, were you expecting a biopic and kind of feel like you got something else or do you, you basically get what you thought you were going to get going in? I didn't really have any expectations. I just figured this is going to be a movie about, you know, black leaders trying to make their society better and the world they live in better, fight injustice, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I read the description. At the, I watched it on HBO Max at home um, and it did just have like a quick synopsis. So that's about all I knew going into it. And also that, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield were in it, but yeah, that's about. I, yeah, I really didn't have any expectations. Yeah, um, I had. Uh, I guess I was a little confused at the very beginning when they showed the documentary footage because mm. I'm like, is this guy like an actor? Are they doing like a like a recreative sort of thing? It's what? Well, is that the real guy? Yeah. Well, it's it's Lakeith in the beginning. And in the middle, and then they revert back to the real uh, Bill. Uh, they refer back to the real um, Bill O'Neill at the end uh, for, I guess it's Eyes on the Prize too, which I don't, I'm not familiar with. Um, the like part of my interest level going in ended up being because like a couple of years back for Real Nerds, I. Um, when I was going through like what, what my, what we've been watching, one of them was a documentary on the black Panthers from PBS that clarified, uh, and explained the black Panthers from a perspective that I had, I had not been privy to prior to that. A lot of my perception of the black Panther party came from, the 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 stories handed down from the from the perspective and the angle of the FBI or the Nixon administration like that that narrative had still been driven downfield to to somebody like me so to understand what the black panther programs were about from a different perspective uh helped me ingest the information better rather than just like uh, rather than just going in with the assumptions from the angle of a of an FBI or a Nixon administration at the process, but 
Um, what I like about the film though, is that it, uh, it toes this interesting line. Brad and I watched it together. And when we got out of the movie, uh, Brad, you said something pretty interesting in regards to that. <laughs> I don't remember. It, I, it was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a gangster movie with two gangs at war with each other, the FBI. And, <laughs> uh, but they have, uh, uh, different elements of the, uh, different, uh, uh, black power, black empowerment movements, um, uh, represented in the film, which I was not aware of. Like, I don't know who the crowns are. Um, uh, but then these, but they team up with these different groups to rebuild their, uh, their chapter headquarters after it's decimated. Um, so like, it was interesting kind of like getting this new injection of information that I would then want to go off and do independent research on my own after the fact. Um, and also, as I said up at the top, it does an interesting subversion of a gangster movie. Like it's like a Donnie Brasco or departed where, you know, that there's a, there's a mole inside and you're the, that's the, that the bomb under the table has been set that, you know, he's an informant and you're wondering when is that bomb going to go off? Um, yeah, I guess I did think it was interesting that he never really got caught. Right. Well, and that he actually, it seemed like they kind of gave him an out with the whole thing at the end of like the gas station. Mm-hmm. And then he apparently decides to go back in. I, I don't know. That was really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm a, uh, the fact that he continued to be an operative or a mole in there is interesting. It's something I would. I almost kind of wish the movie were a little longer to kind of delve into that area because the one element of this film that made me scale it back in my rating to four and a half ended up being that the ending feels a bit abrupt. Um, technically we've had an entire arc completed where, you know, the, 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 the mole is technically the success, the successful victor in this film, like by traditional movie standards, obviously if we're going from the philosophical point, you know, that's where things become more clear that Fred Hampton is murdered um, and that it's Bill O'Neill rightfully so feels guilty as all hell for that. Um, but uh, to then have that documentary footage of him after the fact talking about what he did and then the t- uh, the subtitle text saying that Bill O'Neill killed himself hours after this interview, like that, that mm-hmm. to me is something of great interest that I kind of almost wish I'm not saying you need to dramatize it but i would love you to lead into that moment in, in another different in a different way um but i think that the movie does a really good job at keeping your interest level engaged when it comes to the presentation style of this film like it tries to operate like a really intriguing crime mystery like gangster film that ends up becoming more of a philosophical debate and less of a crime movie with a traditional rise and fall. So Shaka's Shaka's script and his direction are able to kind of adjust our expectations for the kind of movie we get within the first 30 to 45 minutes, which is, you know, guy gets caught with a crime, says, you don't want to go to jail. Okay. You've got to infiltrate this group of people for us. And then as the movie progresses and Fred Hampton's message progresses and the, his his development as a character progresses. We start realizing that this is more complicated waters than just your simple 
FBI is sending an informant in to stop the bad guys movie. It then becomes an actual debate, an internal debate for Lakeith Stanfield in his in his mind. So, um, and also just watching Daniel Kaluuya just knock it straight out of the park as Fred Hampton, like that is an incredible performance. Um, if you're gonna give him an Oscar that he should have got for Get Out, I'd argue you give it to him here for uh, Fred Hampton. And I think the film does a good job of kind of showing you all the different perspectives going on within mm-hmm. this kind of setup and all the kind of main players, even though they don't necessarily all interact with each other mm-hmm. and just showing you like where they're coming from and you empathize with them or, I, I mean, I, I felt like, um, Bill, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel you like where you're coming from. Like you got, you know, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. And then, of course, at the very end, it's like, okay, I really don't see... I, like, I'm sorry, I can't justify the decision that you made. Yeah. Even though I get it, but it's like you stepped over the line. <laughs> you, you, what's interesting, I, 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 I got into an uncomfortable spot by the midpoint because I'm like, sooner or later, we're getting to the moment where a lot of like a good fraction of our lead characters. If we're talking about the three key leads in the film, which are um, uh, Kaluuya, Stanfield and Plemons, two out of those three are going to end up being the ones we boo at, at the end of the movie. Like it's just an Mm -hmm. undeniable conclusion. And uh, what I found interesting is actually like, there's obviously the scenes with Stanfield uh, like playing the part when he realizes that they kill a, a, the that when they killed a, the guy they thought was a mole or tortured the guy they thought was a mole, like you see him having to play a part within a part and then go out of that part to get the information that he needs, and then mm-hmm. we get that, and then there's that scene with Plemons inside Hoover's office. That is one of the most uncomfortable movie scenes I've seen in a movie oh, where this they're year. talking about his daughter. Yeah, that oh was my gosh. that that was that that's you know like I I made a comment about J Edgar earlier, and I used to kind of like give that movie some slack because I thought it was trying to tell an intriguing story. I don't think I can justify that now because I think in the span of a five minute scene. That managed to tell a better J. Edgar Hoover story and an analogy about his life than an entire biopic about him tried to. Because that scene is uncomfortable, it's tension-fueled, and it explains exactly who Hoover was. Um, and just watching Plemons react, like you do, you do get the sense that Plemons isn't fully convinced of what he's having to do. But he's having to put on this this facade because of what his job is. But there's also, then it also goes into the question of how he feels by the end of the movie. And the answer is like, I don't know. Like, all I know is I have this scene where he's put in this very weird, uncomfortable position by his uppers where I'm like, I don't like Plemons by the end of the movie, but you gave me this scene and it's very, very interesting. (laughs) Um, The thing that got me was, how like after um fred goes to prison initially and uh bill is 
like he kind of takes up the charge of like helping rebuild the chapter mm-hmm. after everything, you know, physically and I guess personnel wise. Um, Cause they're all like, Oh, it's all thanks to bill. Like he's the one who really got the ball rolling and all this stuff. And it just makes it seem like, you know, the FBI or whoever could have just let it fizzle out, let him just peace out of there. And hopefully the chapter just kind of dissolves on its own. Well, you know, now that Fred is in prison, but of course, no, they want him to stay in there. And it's like, this isn't, (laughs) this is not just you like, Oh, for the greater good, we have to do this, you know, drugs or, you know, armed weapons, what, you know, whatever their excuses of like monitoring these people they're like, no, no, no. Like it's it's personal for them. They have a vendetta against the Black Panthers. It's well they, yeah. It's like it, it's like if you if you if the Black Panthers dissolve, then it's like you're almost out of a job or something. Well because this is like a this is a war. Yeah. For for Hoover, it was this weird it feels like it was this weird paranoid vendetta he had amongst other things. I mean, shoot, he was going after Martin Luther King. Like this isn't this isn't unknown information. Um and the way that the way that Hoover lays into his own paranoia and his vendetta and his racist edict against it is that conversation over the phone about well Fred's going to go back to prison. Like they they're gonna he's not gonna he's gonna lose his appeal and he goes like you know, Huey Newton became a celebrity in prison. And then once you real once you hear those words out of his mouth, mm-hmm. that's when you realize like Hoover's co- gone to the point of like no, he has to be killed now. And then that's where you get this. I mean, I- I'll be honest, like I, yeah, I, it's not enough. It's not enough to lock an innocent man up in prison for no reason. Yeah, for 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 somebody of Hoover's ilk, it's it's either you you break him there or you break him permanently, and unfortunately. We got that ladder, and I, I don't like. Well, I mean, we shouldn't have had to break him. Period, because Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers, like a lot of they were doing, was working towards self improvement within the community. And look what happened. So, like, it, it is a very, especially given the environment we live in, it is a very, very frustrating, uh, hard thing to sit through without taking stock of what you've witnessed around, um, and. I mean, I think that the movie's target in in his regards to like how it portrays law enforcement or the Black Panthers and whatnot. I think it really is trying to lay out the story as it unfolds in a crime in a crime film in a genre fashion to then ask you to think by the film's end. Um, I what I one of the things I like about the film is I don't feel like it's lecturing to me, um, but it does educate me at the same time. Um, it gives me food for thought while not shoving the lesson down my throat. Like Shaka King made a movie that is aware of how to make an experience for the audience to get invested in emotionally, uh, using the tools of a trade that have been stock and trade for years. Like the movie plays out like the departed in a lot of ways where it's very entertaining to watch. Uh, but then it goes a step up from the departed by having a lot more, thought and insight stuck within it um and cultural relevance yeah i mean like i like the departed but yeah it's 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 it does not take stock of the environment as fully as it could compared to something like this um and i do think that 
it's it is doing a very admirable job for a movie that isn't as long as some usual historical epics like it gets a lot of information packed in there and it doesn't spare on it but it still moves at a clip like i did not feel bored in this movie um i felt very very compelled all the way through um and as as frustrating and upsetting as you feel by the end of the movie i would want to watch this movie again in a heartbeat um and i'm glad i got to see it in the theater while i while i had the chance so yeah i i don't think i could watch it again not because it's bad but just because it's like especially those last 10 15 minutes with the oh. raid and all the the text that comes up at the end I, just, I i had to plug I, my i had to plug my ears during the raid because that it felt all too real so like i was not like i was uncomfortable up until the moment i knew that any violence was done um so like i i, I mean i don't even feel comfortable calling it a raid it, it really should just be like a mass murder or something like they, oh my God, that scene where the guy just shoots through the door. I, uh, the, 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 the scene that pushed the uncomfortability for me was, and I don't, I'm not read up on it, so I don't know where the truth lies in it, but like, because we've established that Fred, uh, has the relationship he does with Deborah, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, one of the, Raiders having a gun pointed at her stomach, uh, her pregnant stomach. I was so scared for that, her. That was one of the most uncomfortable microseconds of film I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I, I was just, I was like grabbing the arm of my chair, going, like, Please don't. And I, I, I mean, I was sitting there thinking, if they do anything to her, I'm throwing this TV out the window. Because, like, I mean, like, because yeah. even even knowing that there was the murder, I don't know the details of it. So this movie is presenting a form of those of that story that I, then I can go later and look at. Um, and so, like, to watch it unfold in that way uh, was very very fascinating. And again, it's as it's inspired by true events. I would like to know where they took liberties and where they let everything unfold as it actually happened, like where the balance lies on that. Well, I mean, the civil case definitely found that yeah. there was some kind of, you know, misdeed and well, yeah. Cause otherwise they wouldn't have settled. To kill him. <laughs> yeah. Cause otherwise they wouldn't have settled. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, and um that could almost be a movie in and of itself. 12 I, years that court case was in. I would love to see that movie and to see how that unfolds cuz I think it's as equally important to the story. Um Brad, do you have any thoughts you've been kind of quiet? No. Once again, you guys have covered everything and moved on from everything so fast that I am just shopping online now. <laughs> what are you Sorry. I'm sorry, Brad. What are you buying? Uh Psycho Gorman Hunky Boys edition Blu-ray. Wait, 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 wait. Is this like this? Is there a standard guys edition? <laughs> the Canadian one comes with like the soundtrack and I guess some trading cards and a reversible cover. I want that. Okay, Brad, let me ask you is there a part of the movie that stands out in your mind? Uh, yeah, that uh, execution raid was pretty terrible. But um, yeah, I was going to. I, I didn't realize uh, until just now. Yeah, the, the it's very much like The Departed as a movie structure, but yeah. historically it's just, it's such a bummer to, you know, realize that 
how defensive people are about you know culture clashes you know it's just like the, the ignorance of not wanting to open up or hear a different point of view mm -hmm. to that extent is just so frustrating to me and but, to watch it unfold is just like obviously worse in in actual history at being there but like i have the luxury of sitting there just being able to watch it passively and just thinking about how much more terrible it is to actually go through all that mm -hmm. it's just really frustrating and um but uh yeah god the acting just uh Kaluuya giving those speeches I was just, just so good mm -hmm. I mean not like he did a bad job I would have said that Lakeith Stanfield was the standout for me just because like Zach was saying like he has to do so like such a range of emotions and like roles within roles and you can like see the the, the expressions and the emotion and uh, what do they call it? I was watching some like Vanity Fair thing where they had like an acting coach come in and talk about these different death scenes. And um, he was talking about Denzel Washington and he's like, you can literally see like his inner monologue on his face. Yeah. He's and, like that one scene where like you were talking about where the mole is there mm -hmm. or the, well, he doesn't know it's a mole. Yeah. He, after, he but... doesn't know that's the mole. He thinks that there right. was a mole. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, you can literally see like his thought processes on his face. Yeah, like when he's like getting all high and mighty about like I would have killed him, I would have killed him. You can literally mm -hmm. watch the transformation because Shaka's Shaka's direction is such that he is keeping on him even as he has the the L cut of the other guy moving in a bit in and out of the frame, and he's kind of keeping it in this this kind of handheld verite style, and you see lakeith like slowly die inside <laughs> um and it, there was some other scene i can't remember which one where he like walks out of the black panthers building and he gets in his car i forget what exactly had just happened but he like starts it, oh, chuckling to himself oh no okay so i'm not thinking of it i was thinking of the one where he shows the explosive to fred um which i'm assuming was to basically take get, get him to right, like he had a, a yeah wire the wire on him, him yeah um no yeah when he's laughing to himself uh oh god i don't remember what this one was um uh anyway yeah i can't remember can i tell you though one of my favorite moments in the movie that doesn't have anything to do with the overall message of this film is it the scene where the uh deborah's reading her poetry to him. Okay, that's an amazing scene. That's an amazing mm -hmm. emotional scene. I wanted to talk about my favorite scene from a perspective of like the genre filmmaking that Shaka King's involved in. So after they go to see the crowns and one of them recognizes Bill from earlier, um, and they oh, get the in, scene in the car yeah, where the, they're like, the, Oh yeah, you boosted it, let's see you do it again. The scene with the car, like there was this there's this tension even yeah, though I I'm fully, stand it. I had to fast forward a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, there was a tension there of like, I know he's gonna get it, get over this, but I need to see how this unfolds step by step. And I was like, fixated internally on what the hell was gonna happen there. And there's true tension in him taking apart that car to then re hotwire it. Like it was like, like just watching him go through. And figure out how he's going to uh, 
reposition himself as the good guy there for the in the case of the group uh i thought was just spellbinding uh so yeah um it's a very good film um i i would i would imagine it's gone from hbo max at this point uh if you have a theater to go to i would go and if you've got to purchase it on amazon i think it is more than worth that rental price you're paying for um, unlike if what- I can compare it to Just Mercy real fast, because yeah. both of them, I mean, obviously they're tackling kind of these social justice issues related to the black community. And I think it, they both have the same thing where it's like, gosh, dang it, like so much time has passed and yet nothing has changed. And you get really frustrated about it. Like that whole raid scene at the end of Judas and the Black Messiah, of course, you know, made me think of Breonna Taylor and that whole incident. But unlike um, Just Mercy, I felt like Just Mercy ended on a kind of like a little twinge of a hopeful moment of just kind of like, you know, things can get better. This can change, you know, Just Mercy and all that. And this film ends on such a downer note. I had to like go watch a bunch of other stuff last night because I'm like, I can't go to bed after this. Like, you know, shit. I, I felt about this movie the same way that I felt watching Malcolm X the first time I saw it. Where... Now, the difference being that the Malcolm X uh, takes a little bit longer to tell its story. Um, but by the end of the film, uh, I think you are made much more aware of a legacy while still understanding that there is a major problem. Um, now, uh, and then another example from a more recent time would probably be Black Klansman, where we have the ending we do in that movie. Um, where we've assumed there's a wrap up on an optimistic hope, and then we get the scene uh, where uh, Ron Stallworth and uh, 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 his 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 lady friend throughout the movie uh, looking out the window to see a burning cross. Like I I think that I like Just Mercy a lot because it does a lot with a genre that I would have assumed would have been too hokey for this generation. Um, but I think movies like Judas and the Black Messiah are necessary to – if you're going to talk a story of that type of relevance, it would be disingenuous to leave it on an overtly optimistic note. I think the optimism actually comes from the fact that the current Black Panther representative party is actually Fred Hampton Jr. Um, I think that's that's the that's the tinge of optimism you get. Is that Deborah and their Except son has? I, yeah, I don't know him though. I so don't. I'm kind of like that's I, great, I guess, but okay. I don't know either. I don't know him either. But that's like that's. I get. I would take the. I would take the gander that that's the form of optimism it takes. But I think the movie is trending toward this. You know this 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 very poignant note to to alert you to the fact that. The progress that the progress that needs to happen has happened slow, and they're making you aware of it that it still hasn't changed. That's that's the key thing that they're aiming at. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like you get like Fred Hampton gets murdered, mm-hmm. Bill kills himself. The civil case took 12 years to finally, you know, before they finally settled and said, yeah, there was a conspiracy to kill him. 
and then you hear like oh yeah like nothing's changed and it's like oh great yeah well i mean but it, I, I, I would <laughs> i would a little bit of i would here. i would i would say to you know step outside the film realm first for, for a second if you're going to talk about it from the context of you know like being alert to those things as you like even without taking the film point for point on fact being alert of the situation that surrounds you in the world um which i think is just as important as the message that just mercy gives about having that optimism that things will change i think that both messages are of equal merit and equal value but i understand why one of them feels way more depressing than the other and can leave you on a very very dark note by the time you've walked out of the theater or out of your home so um but yeah cool i heard that ryan had some thoughts about the movie why don't we check in on him and see how he's doing so it's ryan and i'm calling with my review for judas and the black messiah this film is pretty good it's anchored by some really great performances uh, it moves by really quickly, even though it's two hours long. And I was talking to Brad because I had to sign off on the podcast early due to me not having time to see the film. And he told me that Zach and Corinne went on and on and on about the film. So I'm not going to bore anybody. Uh, yeah, I think you should see it. And the performances are the biggest selling point. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Ryan. We're so sorry that you... We- Interesting yeah. take. Yeah. I, I didn't think he was going to talk about how Robert Downey Jr. was almost cast as Jesse Plemons' character, but there you go. So what do we want to watch next week? Um, I want to watch uh, The Horn Blows at Midnight from 1945, starring the great Jack Benny. No. The great Alexis Smith and the great Frank- Franklin Pangborn. No. I don't know. What is next week, Brad? Uh, Ryan, what do you want to watch? Ryan, not there. Ryan, Ryan's not here. Come on, man! Don't don't be like this. Ryan's not here, man. Neither is Dave. Uh. So gosh. I think it's like Ray, Ray, Raya in the Last Dragon, and then also Coming to America is out. Oh, I'd like to go. Is there anything the week after that? Uh, there's also Chaos Walking next week. A girl. A girl. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like we should probably do one of the bigger movies. But 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 Corinne, oh my God, it's a girl, what's, and there's a, guy, you know a room full of guys. <laughs> how do you know it's big? I have never heard of what is it? Chaos Walking. It's about, I don't know what it's, that is. It's about how Tom Holland and Mads Mikkelsen and a bunch of other dudes have never um, seen a lady for a while, and then suddenly Daisy Ridley shows up, and Tom Holland's like, oh my god, it's a lady! And she's like, why can I see your thoughts and hear your thoughts? And he's like, I don't know, why can't I read your thoughts? Because see, it's an allegory for young adults. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so Ryan the Dragon next week. Um, until then, guys, good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. 
for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.